This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Mushroom Cups. Mushroom Cups infuses high-quality organic coffee with the functional benefits of mushrooms to deliver extended focus and clean energy without the jitters and crash effect of regular coffee. Go to mushroomcups.com and use code NOMEAT10 to save 10% at checkout. That's mushroomcups.com and use code NOMEAT10. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Nomad Athlete Radio. So Matt, I, I woke up uh, early to go on a on a run the day after Halloween. So November November first, got in the car at like six a.m. Turned on the radio, and a Christmas song had oh, come on it. the radio. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. it. Like literally, I was, uh, you know, I had just taken off my costume hours before, and <laughs> and there was there was there was Christmas there was Christmas on the radio. I don't I don't know what to think about that. I just heard a discussion today or not yesterday on ESPN radio, and they were having this same discussion. I don't know. I tuned in. Who knows what they'd said before? But like the thing was about people saying that the Christmas season starts right after Halloween. As soon as Halloween's done, it's Christmas season. And one guy was <laughs> like, "I hate that," and one guy was like, oh, "I'm totally into that. I'm not a big Thanksgiving guy." And I thought, it "Sounds like me and Doug." Yeah, it does. I just, I, you know, I hate it. I, I don't. I just, it's, I'm not ready yet. The leaves are still in the trees. Come on. It's cold though. You get that nip in the air, and you just start thinking about snow and hot yeah. chocolate and Santa. No, not you. <laughs> not yet. No. You, you no. Thinking I'm about thinking a cornucopia. About, yeah, I'm thinking about a cornucopia. I'm thinking about you know mm-hmm. football and. Uh, yeah, I feel like we already did that though. That for me, September is when gets, you get that first little bit of fallness. Start drinking the Oktoberfest beers. Mm-hmm. We we talked about the nip in the air or whatever we whatever we said a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I, I did did that already. I'm done with that. By the time Halloween rolls around, it's ready to bring out Full the on winter. Man. But then that makes the winter so long. Yeah, that's true. Right, because winter goes through like February, right? So if you're talking about November through February or March being winter, I mean it's just that's a long week. That's a long season. Global warming though, Doug. It's gets warmer early. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, the uh, it is Thanksgiving season, and Starbucks has the Thanksgiving coffee out, which is shorter every year, I swear. I think it the Christmas blend will be on the, in Starbucks shelves within a week, I bet. Watch for that, everyone. Okay. Notice when they change it over. That Thanksgiving blend has about a one-week shelf life, and then it is gone. It's almost like <laughs> they bring it out just, just so they don't get criticized or something. Yeah. <laughs> So, Doug, you mentioned uh, that you did a run after Thanksgiving. That means you are back in action after your after the humiliating defeat from the <laughs> previous one. I am, yeah. I'm, I'm after the after being down and out for weeks on end. No, I, I am. Uh, I'm I'm back at it and really trying to go hard, man. I, you know, I'm ready to burn the bridge ahead of uh, <laughs> burn the boats. Some, burn, burn the, the boats. <laughs> burn the boats ahead yeah. of some some spring races. So. Yeah, I'm, I saw I'm, the other day that you, you wrote that you'd be out for a long run at some time in the morning. I forget, and I thought Doug must be motivated by that and uh, mm-hmm. using it as fuel to to do better, which I think is awesome. I think it's wonderful. I really am. Yeah, and it was great. I heard from several people uh, that listened to the episode more, way more than normal, because you know we might hear from like one or two depending on what the topic is. But several people reached out and appreciated uh, that conversation and r- could relate to. Um, mm-hmm that experience that I had. So sure. I'm, I'm glad we shared it. And um, that reminds me, <laughs> we didn't talk about me doing this plug, but we should uh, really, uh, if, if you have something nice to say, if you enjoy an episode, leave us a review on iTunes. 
Yes, we always mean to do that, and we don't do that. But uh, yeah, yes. If you're a listener, if you listen all the time and you haven't yet left us a review, please go do that. It just it just helps so much, and uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate it. And uh, and you know, we don't always get great reviews from certain people. So <laughs> when we do have someone who likes us, <laughs> leave us a good review and uh, drown out the the naysayers. There you go. I like one star reviews. I think one star reviews are good. To me, they're I'm taking them as a sign that we are doing something that is interesting. Right? I guess if they said boring, then that wouldn't be too good. And I'm sure some do. <laughs> yeah, but, a lot of them probably But if do. they want to because they, they are disagreeing completely with something, then that, that I'm okay with. I like that. Yeah. All right. Good. So, um, yes, do that. And anything else, Doug? Any other post-Halloween things? Costumes went, went all right? Yeah. I was Olaf. We did the whole Frozen thing. Big hit. Yep. Good. Daughter loved it. Just couldn't couldn't be happier. And, Next um, year you're gonna be Lion King, I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's my. Prediction. Is that the kind of progression you get from princesses to? Yeah, it's just the Lion King is out right now. It's the big oh, thing. Oh, a year behind for everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <No>. um, <laughs> it's 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 out. Yeah. It's it's at the point where your daughter might get into Lion King because she's becoming the age where you might start to care about watching animals on on a movie. Mm. I, you know, I heard. Have you seen the new Lion King? Yeah, I saw it in Spanish, and I just went and saw it recently in uh, at Ash. As I always mentioned, Asheville Brewing Company, best possible date or family event there is in Asheville. Go watch the movies there. I we almost went to go see it the other morning at uh, or the other afternoon at mm-hmm. Asheville Brewing Company. Um, but the uh, someone you actually might have been over here. We might have been talking about it when when you were over here. We were watching the baseball game. Um, I, yes, that's what reminded me that it was happening. So that inspired me to go do it. Um, but the my friend who went to go see it with his kid, who's our daughter's age, was saying that um, because it's not animated, you know, because it's kind of real life people, mm-hmm. it it it's a lot scarier because it takes away, or or because they look like real animals, it takes away right. kind of the imagination part of it, or the you know the animation. Like, right, doesn't seem like it's pretend anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, so so now I'm kind of intrigued to go see it. I mean, it's not like it's not like it's going to make your heart pounding or anything. <laughs> it makes it so that little kids are scared of it, which. But uh, yeah. I mean, so Ellie like turned around the whole time during certain scenes because she, now she's seen them <laughs> in Spanish and she just, I don't know. But uh, that was fine. It's it's okay. It, it made me like the original one. It made me appreciate the original. Mm. So I don't know. But anyway, that's movies and Halloween and all that stuff. <laughs> We so, have a guest today. We have this a guest. Is, yes, we have our second interview in three, I think, out of mm-hmm. three episodes, which is yeah. uh, rare these days. Uh, but it's one that I'm excited about. Her name is Colleen Patrick Goudreau. Of course, you've heard her before if you listened to our 2015 episode. I uh, believe it was called The 30-Day Vegan Challenge with Colleen Patrick Goudreau because that was the name of the book that she was promoting back then. Um, people probably know her, I think, more as a cookbook author. She's been that for many, many years. It was really, I think, when I became vegetarian and then vegan, she was kind of one of the names of the people who you you sort of went to. Just just had been around for a while at that point in this movement. Um, so she really does great work. I think it's awesome. And um, of course, she's got the Food for Thought podcast. She's known as the Joyful Vegan, and her new book is also called The Joyful Vegan. Uh, Doug, how do we describe her new book? Mm. I would say it is a it's it's a blueprint for how to manage being a vegan and uh, and stay vegan. So it kind of addresses a lot of the kind of common concerns and issues people face after they have 
started to go or have gone vegan and, and, you know, kind of helps them have the tools to make sure that they can keep make it last. That sound right? Yes, that sounds right. But I also think that, um, I think that undersells it a little bit. Okay. Because sell it, sell it better. (laughs) No, I think when I, that's what I thought the book was because that's, that's what the marketing material says about it too. And I, (laughs) but I opened the book thinking it was going to be that thinking It was going to be the, here's the practical how to guide for how to go and stay vegan. Uh, and how to deal with, you know, not just, in fact, mostly not the food stuff, but how do you deal with talking to people about it? Mm-hmm. Um, it is that. It certainly is that. But as we say in the interview, it, it there's a whole lot more depth than that, right? The way it gets to how to talk about and how to do this is to really fully understand your own reasons for being vegan and, you know, the type of vegan you want to be and your own voice within this movement and kind of how, you know, just where you fall there. And a lot of people don't know that stuff yet. And you might, you know, she talks about it set up in, in a series of stages uh, that she says you kind of go through as you become vegan and, and stay vegan. And I think, you know, a lot of people reading this won't even have reached these further along stages yet. But I, I don't know. I just think there's a tremendous amount of depth in it. Uh, and that's what I found super interesting. So, uh, we talk a lot about that stuff as well as some of the very practical stuff in the interview. And uh, I really liked how this one turned out. Yeah, me too. Yeah. She's a great guest. She's obviously has tons of experience. And I don't know, it's just fun to, it's fun to hear someone who kind of has a, a perspective similar to ours, I'd say. But, um, you know, but actually has, researches has, things. Yeah, research <laughs> has to put a lot of thought into, right. into, yeah, into like her view of, of, veganism and the plant-based movement yeah it's uh, talking to her it became and and honestly reading the book too it just becomes quite clear that she did a ton of research for this uh and i I think you know really draws on a lot of the ideas like this is about veganism but you could write this book about how do you you know whatever how how do you become whatever a certain you know movement there is and and just i think she did a lot of research into the dynamics of how that kind of thing works so fascinating i thought Mm-hmm. So it's called The Joyful Vegan. Check it out at joyfulvegan.com or anywhere books are sold. All right. Should we get right into the to the interview? No. Not right in, Doug, but almost right in. <laughs> yeah, almost. Doug, you know I like coffee because every time our holiday gift-giving guy goes around, I've got some sort of coffee supplies in there. But you also like coffee, right? That's right. I certainly do. I drink a cup every single day. Then I am sure you've been enjoying your Mushroom Cups coffee. Because Mushroom Cups infuses high-quality organic coffee with the functional benefits of mushrooms to deliver extended focus and clean energy without the jitters or the crash effect of regular coffee. You can go sharp with chanterelle and cordyceps, which gives you an extra mushroom power when you need to stay on the goal for hours. Or you can go fresh with chanterelle and chaga, which is is energizing and great for long-term immune system support. I went sharp this morning. You went sharp. It felt. I went. I went sharp. It felt good. I, I, I've been trying to wait to have my coffee until right when I sit down to work, uh-huh. so that I can get like the best benefits from it. And this mushroom cups go sharp coffee has uh, has focused me all morning. Just a single cup. It's been great. There you go. You know that actually, when you uh, when you delay your coffee consumption, like just by fifteen or thirty minutes from waking up, it it actually helps your body to become more awake. If you drink it when you're super tired, it's not the best thing. But if you should become awake, then you drink coffee, it's uh, better for you. There you go. Did not know that. Matt Mushroom Cups is organic, vegan, with no additives or sugars, and comes in an eco-friendly, fully recyclable packaging, which I certainly appreciate. You can shop and learn more at mushroomcups.com or on Amazon or in the Erewhon. <laughs> Erewhon. 
Erwin. Erwin stores in LA. See, I, I'm an East Coaster. I've never even heard of that store before, but I'm sure that it's great that they're in there. <laughs> I've only seen it on a cereal box. There's a cereal called Erwin cereal. Okay. I didn't know how to pronounce well, it until we looked it up on YouTube. <laughs> you can get your mushroom cups there. Uh, and if you if you do it online, you can save 10% at mushroomcups.com or on Amazon by using the code NOMEAT10 at checkout. That's mushroomcups.com and use the code NOMEAT10 at checkout. Hey everyone, Matt and Doug here with a friend of mine, Colleen Patrick Goodrow, who is, I guess, uh, a repeat guest of on the Nomad Athlete podcast, which puts you, Colleen, into an elite category, I would say. <laughs> there have been, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe eight people who have done this. It's really not that elite, but uh, we don't do that many interviews, so I think it's cool when we have a repeat person. But, uh, Colleen, you are back here to talk about a really cool new book you've made, written, we don't make books, we write books, called <laughs> The Joyful Vegan. Um We'll talk a lot about why it's interesting. I, I really think it's a cool thing, and I'm, and I'm so glad that you wrote it. Uh, so thank you for coming on, and uh, how have you been? I mean, the last time we – I think we were dancing on, on the top deck of the of the vegan cruise a few years oh ago. Oh, my gosh. And yeah, yeah. Our last interaction probably. Yeah, I mean, I'm really I'm, – I'm great. I mean, I, we've been doing a lot of trips. We've been doing uh, vegan trips, which has been fantastic. So, um, you know, that was kind of an inspiration and, you know, being able to put – my own together um, writing. That's what I do. That's what I love. I can't help myself. And uh, yeah, everything, everything's good. Very good. So your book is called The Joyful Vegan. Uh, I think the timing of this book is really great. I mean, I, the timing for any vegan book right now is really great just because of what's going on with our movement. Uh, maybe, you know, on the no meat athlete side, we actually, I'm curious we, to us, it seems like it's exploding. I mean, there's just because of the game changers, and the fitness piece is seeming to finally take hold uh, in a way that it's kind of it's been doing for the past ten years, but it just seems like it's just really taking off all of a sudden. Um, I imagine you're seeing sort of the same thing, you know, with the Impossible Burger and or Impossible Whopper uh, and all that stuff, and the, all the celebrities and everything. So to me, the timing just seems perfect because it used to be that the people who got into veganism were were you know if you if you kind of stayed with it for any time at all, it was because you were pretty committed. Uh, because it was not that easy to get delicious food. Now you go to any grocery store and you find vegan sausages, vegan burgers, all kinds of vegan frozen stuff. I mean, anything you could want. It's it's really not hard, the food part anymore. Um, but as you talk about in the book, a lot of people don't, don't last because of non-food issues. And to me, it seems that now, now that there's this huge mainstream awareness of it, uh, there will be and already are, you know, millions of people who are, who are not as committed yet coming into it, just giving it a try because it's convenient to do so. Um, and your book really, I think, addresses addresses those people, helps them with the really what becomes the hard part uh, if you don't know how to do it. So, I mean, can you just, in your own words, tell us, like, why did you write this book and, and who, for you, is it for? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I struggle to say that it was hard before because I think there is, first of all, an element of when you are committed, as you say, 
it's it's effortless once you get through the transition of the habit changes. To me, I talk about it as being effortless, but I think the transition is difficult for people. But once you switch and once you change your habits, those become the norm. So that's kind of how I've always characterized it. And I do think there's truth in that. Uh, so, you know, as you know, there's always been quote unquote vegan food. There's always been fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans and mushrooms and grains and herbs and spices that we could pick from in the grocery stores. So for people who you know, and, and that's kind of one of the things about being vegan is that you're willing to say, eh, this cheese isn't great, but I'm going to eat it because I don't want to get the dairy cheese or eh, this isn't the best meal I've ever had at a wedding or at a restaurant or when I'm traveling, but I'm willing to do it because it means so much to me to reflect my values and my behavior, right? So for that group of people, I think it's always been... Yeah. I find it all. I find it's always been joyful for me, mm-hmm. but there is a contingency of people who don't necessarily call themselves vegan, don't characterize themselves as vegan or plant-based or whatever. They just want to eat less animal products, and so that in that way, I do think it's more convenient because I think convenience and cost are huge factors for folks when they're considering making a change. When it's not necessarily a paradigm shift for them, but more of a desire to you know to be healthier, to eat better, to eat lighter, to eat fewer animal products. So for those people, I do think it is more convenient than ever before uh, because because of the products that are available. And I'm thrilled by that. I am thrilled that there are more options and they're really sophisticated options. You know, again, you know, when I first became vegan 20 years ago, the burgers were not great. You know, the cheeses weren't great. And, you know, that's that's too bad. I mean, I cooked, I made my own. That's fine. But in terms of commercial products, they're so they're so much more sophisticated and the marketing is more sophisticated and the branding is more sophisticated. And I think that's appealing to a general consumer. So, so for years, you know, doing this work that I, where I've been guiding people to reflect their values and their behavior, I have found that there's a spectrum of people who resist going vegan, who, you know, who go vegan, who stop being vegan, who struggle being vegan. And so I started identifying what the struggles were for people and what the challenges were for people. And then most importantly, how to provide the solutions and strategies to overcome those challenges. So I did a podcast series several years ago called the 10 stages of what happens when you stop eating animals. And because it wasn't just when you become vegan, it's really when you start, you know, opening your eyes and you start seeing the world through a different lens. And I started identifying what I call the 10 stages. And that's what the book is really framed around. And I I don't know why I feel like I need to say this, but they're not stages to follow necessarily. Like this, now go through stage one, now go through stage two. They're more of experiences to identify with. And they're not linear. You can go through several in a day, but they do, I think, give a name to the ex- common universal experiences people have. I've looked at data. I've looked at my own experience observations, and I've heard from thousands of people. And I feel that it does really accurately reflect at least what most people go through. And that's what that's why I wrote the book, because, you know, in all the work I've been doing, it's certainly guiding people to becoming vegan, but it's also guiding people to staying vegan. And I think I think this is like the perfect follow up to the 30 day vegan challenge, which helps people through the transition where a lot of that is around the nutrition and all the questions people have about single nutrients and, and the food and the eating out and uh, cooking and that kind of thing. Whereas this book is really centered around the cultural and social and emotional aspects of making the transition. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that you laid the book out with these 10 stages because I think that they really do capture kind of the experience of what it's like to 
to be a vegan. Um, and, and, and also kind of, you know, especially in the early days as you're still beginning to figure it out. So can you actually give us some examples of a couple of the stages and how yeah, you landed I, on this? Sure. And I think there is a bit of, you know, I, there is a, they're not linear in that you go from stage one to stage 10 and then you graduate, but there is an order a, a bit of an order to it. And again, even if you consider what you experience in a day. So the first one I think most people can identify with, which is the voracious consumption of information. And it's, you know, you've already had the awakening, you've already seen a movie like Game Changers, if you've read a book, or you've talked to someone like something just shifts and triggers your desire to be vegan, right? Whatever, whatever that means for people. And I, I love unpacking that, that expression as well. But once you do, once you see, once you're awake, you want to know more, you want to see more and you want to validate what you've just seen or just heard. You ask questions like, how, how can this be happening? How can this even be real? How can this even be true? Whether it's about what's happening to the animals or whether it's about the, the health aspects. I mean, I hear from plenty of very smart, intelligent, you know, people who've been around for a while who said, I had no idea that, you know, meat, dairy and eggs contributed to heart disease. Now you'd think on our side, you'd go, how can you not know that? But we live in a culture that's basically conditioning us to not know that. So, so that is the first stage of just, you read every book, you watch every documentary, you seek out podcasts, you seek out videos, you just want to drink in everything you can to kind of validate what you've just learned. And so that's the exciting part. And you are learning more and you are open to this new world. And that's exciting. The risk for, for example, so each, you know, kind of stage has the, here's what's happening. And then here's the risk that could lead to not only not being vegan, but also just not being joyful and just not really experiencing the joy that comes with this lifestyle. Uh, and the risks are overconsuming, And that's whether you are overconsuming, you know, those slaughter videos, which all of us have watched, and I do think it's really important to watch. I think avoiding watching is what also keeps people asleep. So it's not to never look. It's just to be discerning about when you do take in the information that you do to manage your emotions around it and to do it in a way that's going to be sustainable for you. In terms of the nutrition and health, you can overconsume that information. I do think people can become obsessed. I do think rigid eating is a thing. I think that people can look at plant-based eating as a panacea for every ailment, which is why I really don't appreciate when people and vegans and plant-based people say to me or to other vegans and plant-based folks, you know, you can't get cold. You don't get cold. Vegans don't get sick. Yes, we do. Like we're human. Mm -hmm. And so if we have this notion that we're never going to be sick, the risk of, you know, the risk in that, in that area is again, having this unre unreasonable expectation about eating plant-based. And then, and then if you have any kind of ailment that you can't diagnose or you have a nutrition deficiency, anything, you just attribute it to the fact that you stopped eating meat, dairy, and eggs. So all of this is about finding a balance. So that's an example for stage one. Stage two is the remorse that we feel when we say, how could I not have known? How could I have been part of this? And again, this could be the animal suffering, or this could be the food that we were eating that made us sick or that, you know, that we've now instilled in our children. So we just have this overwhelming feeling of, oh my gosh, how could I not have known this? And so that that's stage two, the, you know, kind of, and then guilt related to that in that stage is, 
you know, this expectation that we're supposed to be perfect and we're supposed to be pure and we're never supposed to eat the wrong thing or we're never supposed to make a mistake. So in that stage, I really emphasize what I've been talking about for years, that being vegan is a means to an end and not an end in itself, that it's not about reaching this goal of being vegan or plant-based. It's about using that goal, using veganism or plant-based eating as a means to reach your goals, which is compassion, wellness, right, et cetera. Um, so stage three is coming out and that's something everyone can identify with is how do we tell our friends and family and the t- first time we tell a coworker and finding our voice so that we're not apologetic about it, but also not, you know, being too evangelistic. And that's stage four is evangelism and kind of walking that line between being passionate and, 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 and proselytizing. Uh, stage five is anger, which tends to come after, Hey, we've expressed this enthusiasm about this new way of living and none of my family members have done anything about it. In fact, they've been hostile or they've been defensive. And so we start to become angry because we start to feel that there's, so there's so many problems in the world and, you know, and, and, and no one's listening and no one cares and so on. And so each of these stages, um, I just think m- most of us experience it. And the point is to not get stuck in any of them. So the hope is that people read the book, identify and, and find ways to feel, um, enthusiastic and to walk these lines and to find this balance. Yeah. So I think, uh, I mean, I just love it. It is a book to me. It is about a book about how to think about being vegan uh, and what I think comes from that. Although you do address a lot of these things specifically, like how to talk to different types of people. And that's actually what I want to ask you about next. Um, but I think so much of that comes like, yes, you tell people some practical tips on how to talk to a family or how to talk to coworkers or whatever. Uh, but to me, if you read a book like this or actually read this book, because I don't know that there are many like it, um, you know, it, it just sort of helps you helps you kind of sort through and and discover like you know what what does your veganism mean to you and what's your particular voice and how are you you know how are you going to be an activist if you're going to be an activist uh i think it's really cool i think it just sort of it teaches you to understand your own veganism and from that uh some of these answers just just sort of fall out um but i do want to talk about some of the practical things because i you know we just get although we talk mostly about fitness and that's and, and nutrition and that's our thing we still get a ton of questions emailed often from podcast listeners even um you know about the practical stuff and so much of it is how do you talk about it to this person or in this situation uh so i just want to get your perspective on a few of these um acknowledging that it is just barely scratching the surface of of like you know saying the practical tip for how do you talk to someone really as i said it it probably should be done by you really understanding where you're coming from and and that you know that that giving you the answer but let's forget all that and just try it um, <laughs> the, the one that comes all the time for me is someone says, I want to be vegan or I already am vegan. I'm a new vegan. Uh, my spouse is not on board. My kids aren't really on board. There's no way I could get them to do it, but I'm also the cook of the house. Um, you know, what do I do? How do I talk about it? How do I make it just a livable situation where I'm, you know, we're all living and I'm making food that everyone's eating also with the, with the, you know, secondary goal of one day I'd like these people to start being vegan. So how do I do it without, without turning them off? Mm. Where do you start with mm-hmm. a situation like that? Cause I was, I had such support from my wife when I did this. Uh, and she, she did it right along with me in fact. So I just, I never know what to say. I'm just, I just say, well, you know, just be a good example. <laughs> and that's kind of the mm-hmm. end of my answer. <laughs> I've got, I've got more to say. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so first of all, I, you know, one thing that's kind of frustrating about this 
work that I do is that you could take everything I'm talking about in this book and just turn it into a book about how to live in this world so that we're reflecting our values and that we are being just the best people we can be manifesting our our deepest values, right? So so you said it. It has to start with us. In fact, everything that I talk about really has nothing to do with how everybody else reacts. It's about how we respond to the reaction or how we behave in the first place. And so, of course, we have to do the work to A, just understand where we end and another person begins. B, understand the difference between sharing our enthusiasm and not expecting anyone to do anything differently. Right. C, um, standing up for what we believe in and, and, and knowing that some people might not like what we're saying. I mean, so some, a lot of this is just the work we have to do as human beings, as social beings. And so having said that, when it comes to relationships, I mean, what's relationship? Like what, what are relationships about? They're about communication. They're about compromise. They're about compassion and so in a scenario like that, but that also just means not being completely self-effacing as well. It means self-compassion and self-awareness. And so in a situation with family, because my husband also just went along with me. He became vegan just a few months after I did. And so and, and so he has been for the last you know 20 years with me. But I hear people and I really understand what their struggles are. So a couple things. Number one we have to trust that people will do with the information we share what they will. And we can't control how they're going to take it. However, we can share that information and do it in a way that's very joyful without being attached to the outcome and without having an agenda. So the first thing I would say to people is be really clear that, you know, you're sharing with your family members. This is something that means a lot to you wherever you are in that family dynamic. And, and they will be inspired especially if you're not telling them that they have to do it too. Second, if you are the person who is the cook in the family and you really feel that this is the best thing for you and the best thing for your family, I do not believe in mothers, fathers, whoever are, you know, whoever's the cook in the family being short order cooks and taking orders from people and then making four different meals because that's what people want. If you are the one who's cooking in the household, then you make the food that you know is going to be delicious and you know is going to be filling, but you also know is going to be nutrient dense. Will there be a transition period? Yes. But honestly, if you are a parent and a child is resisting change, you're the parent. I mean, that's like, that's, you, that's cool called parenting. If you have a partner and they're resisting, you know, that requires some more nuance, I think. Um, not, first of all, a lot of partners will just eat what is put in front of them. You know, there's a lot of folks, especially men. I mean, it's really true. The women are still the ones who are cooking in the households uh, who will just eat whatever you put in front of them. Uh, so, you know, so that can work out well, even if they don't identify as vegan and they eat meat outside of the house. But if there really is the I feel so strongly about eating this way. And this is a reflection of my values. And it's like when I became vegan, I came home to my husband and said, I can't even have this stuff in the house. Like it's such a reminder of the horrors that I just learned about. And I can't even have it. Now he was very 
accommodating before he was even vegan. He said, absolutely, I love you and I don't want you to suffer. And so, of course, we'll get the stuff out of the house, no problem. Not everyone's going to do that. And that's okay because there's other ways to get around it. You could have a second refrigerator. You can, you know, keep meat, dairy and eggs in the, in the second refrigerator if your partner's willing to do that. You can, you know, they can agree to not cook meat in the house. Maybe meat is only cooked outside of the house on a grill or they only eat meat and dairy and eggs, whatever, outside the house, but not inside the house. The point is, if there are issues around communication and compromise and compassion in a relationship that don't get resolved by trying to use those, you know, trying to do it compassionately, then there might be other issues, right? I mean, there might be deeper issues. But I think for the most part, if if the vegan's willing to compromise and say, look, I get it. This is a hard, he hasn't read what I've read or she hasn't seen what I've seen and she's not there yet, but it's hard for me to see this stuff in my house. Um, hopefully they'll be willing to compromise and then vice versa. So I think we all have to just kind of keep our eye on what the goal is and, uh, and then, you know, keep taking steps and communicating with each other to achieve those goals and be understanding and compassionate. But like, that's like, basic relationship skills, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that communication is just, is, is wildly important. Um, and, and I've heard from, from several people who, uh, you know, maybe do the cooking for the family and, you know, say that they're not going to cook meat anymore. And there's a lot of resistance from, from the other family members, but they just start getting used to it and they start realizing like the food's pretty good. And, you know, maybe they eat out and can have meat when, or, you know, animal products outside the house, but they just kind of get used to it. And all of a sudden it becomes a non-issue. It just, you know, might take a little, a little communication, a little time for people to get, you know, accustomed to that. Yeah. And I think a lot of this is, is trusting that time will change things. I, I talk about this in the 30 day vegan challenge that, you know, first of all, when we come to family members with this newfound awareness, we kind of expect them to read our minds and to be in the same place we are. So we've read these books, we've watched these documentaries, we have all this new information and we go to our friends and family and we kind of expect them to be at the same place. And they're not usually. And so there's going to be resistance. I mean, I talk about the fact that most people say, don't tell me, I don't want to know, not because they're afraid of being vegan. It's because they're afraid of change and they're afraid of the unknown and they don't know what it's going to look like. So just having that understanding that people, like you said, resist it. It's because it's new. We are creatures of habit. We like the same things all the time. We like to know what to expect. And when it comes to the meat, dairy, and eggs, I think what's really important to also remember is that it's not about meat, dairy, and eggs. It's not about animal products. People could care less, which is why we're seeing the success of these commercial products, plant-based products, vegan products, because, because it's not about the meat and dairy and eggs. It's about fat, salt, texture, flavor, and familiarity. And so if you're making meals that fulfill those, that have those components and people feel filled and people feel good and people have energy and they, you know, like the food and it's, and it's tasty, that's what people are looking for. And that's why I also encourage people like family members when they're feeding their families new food, don't make such a big deal about it. Don't say this is a vegan food and I know it's different and I know you're probably not going to like it, but try it and it's going to be good. Like just give them the food. Like it's just food. It just don't make such a big deal about it. And I think that will help people who, who, who didn't willingly go through the change or right. Who didn't, who aren't going through it to say, Oh yeah, whatever it is, this is just good. And this just tastes, this just tastes great. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. So, so what about talking to people who aren't loved ones, who aren't family members? I mean, I have a very specific memory. Um, soon after I went vegetarian, I was 
in the kitchen of my office building and um you know, a, a kind of a colleague slash friend ish um, was heating up one of those like frozen hungry man meals and these like giant frozen meals. Um, and somehow it came up that I was vegetarian and, and he just kind of like started like hammering me with all these questions that, you know, as a new vegetarian who didn't necessarily have great answers, you know, you start to get a lot of doubt and you start to, you know, kind of question your own motives and kind of question whether you're making a mistake or not. And, you know, it's even, more amplified as a vegan because the questions are that much, that much stronger, I guess. Um, so like, how do you, how do you, what advice do you have for people who are talking to not loved ones, maybe people who Mm -hmm. you don't really care what they think, but you know, but you start getting doubts from what they're saying? Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, we all can identify with that. I was just away and the bed and breakfast owner. It's just so funny. Everybody, it's just so typical. We just get the same responses, whether it's pushback or quips or jokes or whatever it is. It's just, I mean, we can all identify with that. So just number one, just expect it. It's just, Mm -hmm. that's just the nature of things. I think there's an element, I don't mean to be so psychological about it, but I do think there's an element of sometimes people just don't know what to say. And people don't like not knowing what to say about a topic. Everyone wants to kind of feel that they're an expert and they sometimes will just spout these things that they heard that they've never said before, that they've never said to a non-vegan, that they would never say to anybody else, but that you show up as a vegetarian or vegan, all of a sudden this stuff just comes to their mind. Like I'm sure everything of what you've heard is nothing none of us haven't heard before. So, So number one, just expect it. Number two, I mean, obviously you have to be confident in the choice that you made. And it's not to say that you can't be open to someone's perspective. I think that's also the case. Again, knowing where you end and another person begins and being open to an idea that you may not have heard before, but also being confident about what you're doing and then using your own personality. I use humor a lot. Uh, I, you know, I like pushing back, uh, but not in a way that I have to be right. And I, and not in the way that I have to have the answers necessarily either, because I think that's one of the one of the places we get into trouble for ourselves, and you just said it, is we feel like we have to have all the answers. And I think that's one of the problems is that we can also just ask questions and we can also say nothing and we can let there be silence. I can't tell you how many times people have done that with me and I go, oh, uh-huh, right. And they go, what? I go, what? I've heard that before. And they go, oh, yeah, you probably have, right? I mean, just you can deflate it by not giving so much credence to it. And I, and I, I think as soon as we start responding and reacting and, and trying to have the right answer, we're giving weight to what they're saying. So we can either laugh it off. We can say, I've never heard that. It's, you know, I don't think that's true. We can say, I don't, I don't agree. We can say that's, you know, we can make a joke depending on the relationship we have with that person and, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, and we can be silent. I mean, so it's really a matter of being confident and, and using our own personality to, to respond, but not feeling like you have to have all the answers because they're probably not saying to you really, cause I heard this. Can you refute that argument and give me some evidence to support what you're saying? Because I really do want to have this interesting conversation with you because I would like to be wrong. Like, that's not what's happening, right? Like, (laughs) they want to be right and you want to be right. And so I always ask advocates or vegans to say, do you want to be right or do you want to be effective? Right? So have a conversation, have a dialogue, but don't necessarily have the end goal being that you've won the argument. Because I think that's where where we just, we've lost. We've lost at that point. No one's listening to each other at that point. So when you talk about uh, being effective, which I think is really important, 
because that's like those conversations they happen all the time um that has been my strategy partly because i just don't really want to get into Mm -hmm. arguments and confrontation i'm just just not that kind of person so uh for me and i think doug as well like the easy thing is usually to chuckle along like if they make a joke even a joke that is sort of at at your expense like uh, who knows what but but um you know they're sort of making fun of you for not eating meat right that Mm -hmm. you need your special plate when everyone else has this or whatever it is um i have found it easiest to just sort of laugh along in that situation and and what i tell myself and maybe this is just sort of rationalizing but i say what i'm doing is being the opposite of what they expect the opposite of the militant uh fundamentalist vegan right who's going to stand up and argue for it and get into something uh and and just be the opposite and then there and then suddenly i think to those people veganism now has this different facet that hey you can be a vegan who is not uh not like i thought they all were and someone who's sort of easygoing and chill about it um but people i've said that before and people have come back and said you have a responsibility to stand up and fight for this that's part of what being vegan is it's to it's to you know create these situations where people are going to ask about your diet and that's now your your soapbox you you know this is your chance what do you think about that do we have a responsibility to like come back and and you know stand up for ourselves uh or or can we laugh it off and and move on and let let things not turn into big confrontations Mm -hmm. and maybe that be a good thing and and what's that and maybe that be a good thing for for Mm -hmm. veganism so I think we have a responsibility to speak up for our own truth. I do think we have a responsibility to, if we're compelled to share, and, and I talk about this in the book, the good news, right? Like that's what an evangelist is, right? So literally an ev- you know, evangelism means sharing good news. And I like that because that's what this is about for us. I mean, it it feels good and we are proud and we hopefully are joyful and we're aware and we're awake. And that's all, I think that's all really good. So I, for me, I'm always clear about what my intention is. And my intention in, in being in this world is to, is to, to speak my truth, to be a voice for those who don't have a voice for the animals and to just to just let go after that. So there is a way to speak your truth without being uh, fundamentalist, without proselytizing, without being angry, without being outraged, without being argumentative. So we can do that. And I think we have to first be clear all the time what our intention is. So it's not that you have to always fight. And it's not that you have to never say anything. The balance for me is sharing your truth and doing it in a way that is authentic for you. And that, that, that may or may not be heard by them, but that's not the point. The point is, is telling the truth, speaking the truth. So what, what happens is that we get attached to then what, how that's taken, right? And how people react to it. And we get indignant because they didn't react the way we wanted them to. And then, and and so what is clear about that is that we had an agenda. So we wanted to change their mind. We wanted to make them see things differently. We wanted to be right. We wanted to win that argument. And that's where it creates all this conflict. And so if my intention is to just speak the truth, then I can't but I can't but succeed or can't but fail. I can't fail. I can't but succeed, right? Because I, I'm in charge of that. It's I'm, I have agency. What someone does with that is not mine. So that's what I think is really important. So I, I just believe in that. I believe in finding ways. I do think humor, I, I, I use humor a lot. I also don't let, like I said, I don't 
let I, I don't give weight to what they're saying. I give weight to what I'm saying. Cause again, I'm the one who has agency over my own self. And so, I mean, I use humor, but if they say something that is, you know, really ridiculous, I'll say like, that's, you know, I, I, I don't agree. Like, I, you know, you can believe that, but that's just not what I have found. Like we can say that. I don't think we're very good at or comfortable with just saying, not you're wrong, because we're good at that. We're good at saying you're wrong. That's not true. That's not right. Well, who, how do people react to that? They get defensive when you say that. But if we say something like, I don't agree, or I haven't ever heard that before, or I don't think, um, you know, I, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I, where did you hear that? Or where did you read that? Then you're in a different place because the person is a little more open to than responding back to you. So I'm, I believe in dialogue rather than confrontation. And if that's our intention going into these situations, then we're always successful because we're the ones who decide how we're going to be in that situation. Does that, does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. Um, I, I think what, what resonates with me is when you say like, the being authentic in our own way. And I think when I think about just to take this back to my situation, since I brought it up, um, I think in the situations that I am personally thinking of when I ask that question, I don't have the intention of changing someone. Right. And that's, and it goes back to what I joked about earlier, like just be an example for me. I think that's, I like to be that example. And like, if I'm going to change someone, it, it will be by being the vegan who's kind of chill and makes them say, wow, that's kind of cool. I could, I actually could do that. Or something like that. So I, I think for me, that what you say about kind of being authentic and, and finding our own voice, to me, that's that's what makes the most sense. But that doesn't mean we can't still, you know, share information. I mean, I just want no, to make not. sure that's yeah, definitely too, right. Because that's, that's the point. And being authentic means that you are sharing and being authentic with yourself. If you're, if you're not speaking up because you think it would upset someone, that's also not being authentic. Mm -hmm. But if you're also speaking up only because you think you have to, and you want to change their mind, then that's also not authentic. So I, that's, that's where a lot of it comes from our own, our own, our own work. Cause I share plenty of information with folks. Um, but I just don't do it in a way that is, you know, like I said, trying to prove that I'm right sure. and trying to prove that they're wrong. So what about the conflict within the vegan community itself? So, I mean, you mentioned this in the book. You talk about how there's the kind of the health food, plant-based eaters. Then there's the the vegans, the ethical vegans who or maybe you're not as, you know, sometimes labeled junk food vegans and things like that. You know, there's the environmentalists. Like, and, and there is some tension between that. And we, we even get that. And I mean, athlete, you know, people who are um, concerned that we're not talking enough about the ethical side of things or, or not enough about the environmental side, you know, how, how do you manage or how does the community kind of navigate that, um, that internal conflict? Well, I think one of the things is I, I'll be really honest and I didn't really say this in the book very much, but I, I think I'll be saying it more is I don't think we're one community. Mm. I think we have commonalities. I think our commonality is that there, we recognize there are det detrimental effects of eating meat, dairy, and eggs and raising animals, animal agriculture, and eating them, right? That's the commonality. But we all come at this from different places. And we can all agree to say, great, you're doing it for that reason, or you're emphasizing that point, and I'm doing it for this reason, emphasizing that point. You know, let's all just at least like support each other in the commonality, but recognize that we're all these little hubs around that center. I kind of think of it as an amphitheater where we all, you all come in, you know, you're all going into that amphitheater because y'all agree that eating meat, dairy and eggs is not good for anybody. Um, but y'all come in through different doors. And so what happens is you get in through different doors and you're all in this amphitheater and you go, 
oh, you're here for that reason too? Great, awesome. Yay, I'm vegan too or I'm plant-based, great. And then what happens is because you're in this new community, you start recognizing, but what door did you come from? And what door did you come through? And how'd you get here? And you start then drawing distinctions that don't matter. It doesn't matter why people, what door they came through. What matters is that we're all there together. And it's already such a small amphitheater compared to the rest of the world that, you know, let's just at least acknowledge that. It's it's literally, I mean, I talk about that in the book, the narcissism of small differences uh, that Freud, I, I think he coined the term. And it is the idea that we're more threatened by people who are more similar to us than we are to people who are less similar to us. And that I think is a really interesting phenomenon. And I think that happens in every uh, community or communities or movement or what have you. It happens all the time. It happens on the you know world stage and it happens in, in something like this. So what does that mean? Well, again, you know, that you even get male that says you should talk about this they're missing the whole point of like you're doing your thing if you want to go talk about that they them who are writing to you go do it if you want to talk about what you're talking about do it that's not to say that you're not open to suggestions and that's fine but what we do is we have this presumption that because we have this commonality that we should all have the same way of thinking in all in all things and that scares me because that sounds like they all want us to be just automatons and, you know, just <laughs> spouting the same thing. And that's not, that's, that doesn't make a society interesting. That doesn't make a culture interesting. That doesn't make a community interesting. What makes a community vibrant and a society vibrant is different ideas, different perspectives. That's diversity. I talk in the book about, we get really, we talk about diversity, but really we want conformity. And that's what I hear when I, when I hear people uh, bashing each other, like there's enough work to be done that, you can focus on something else rather than on the person who said they're 99% vegan and you criticize them because they're not 100% vegan, as if we could even measure that. So how come you didn't call it the joyful plant-based person? Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. It's interesting because I I, I know and, and, I, and I think about this a lot because words really matter to me and I think about this a lot. And I, you know, I even say in the beginning of the book that I don't I didn't become vegan as much as I removed the blocks to the compassion that was already inside of me. And I, and I, and I really mean that, that veganism is a means to that unconditional compassion, but it, it does mean something to me. And it is a word that is shortcut for that, for reflecting our values and our behavior. And so I, I, I do embrace the identity um, of being vegan in that sense. But, uh, and I realized that it means that there's going to be a lot of people who are eight, turned off by it because it's, I'm using the word vegan. And there's going to be people who are just not interested because they don't identify as vegan. And I, that's a risk you take. Words are limited. I can only use words that reflect what I think that truth is. I don't identify as plant-based. And so the story is about my being a joyful vegan and, and, and how, um, you know, how others were, however they identify can be. I do think, you know, I talk in the book about the difference between vegan and plant-based in language. And I do think there's a difference between using the word vegan for me as a, as an identity, if you will, and use, I, I use plant-based. I tend to use plant-based uh, to refer to food. 
I feel kind of strange sometimes when I'm talking about vegan food because I always say that, as I said before, it's fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds, et cetera. It's they're just it's just food. Uh, it's not a separate category of of vegan. It's just food. And so I tend to talk about food as plant based and and me as as vegan. So it mm-hmm. it means something. It's a word that you know it has meaning. People understand it when they hear it for the most part, and that's why I called it that. And plus, I. I've been calling myself a joyful vegan for years, and <laughs> right. it's my email, right. my website. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, the reason I asked really is just outweighed getting to that question, which you kind of made reference to, uh, not just in saying plant-based in the previous answer, but but in talking about people who are 99% vegan. Um, I mean, where do you stand on, on that? I'm, I'm guessing that I know the answer, but like, I don't know. What do you think about lots and lots of people who are who who would call themselves plant based or even mostly plant based, uh, and the idea with with these Beyond Burgers and Impossible Burgers and and just so many other substitutes out there that it's pretty easy. Again, I mean, we talked easy hard. Um, we've had that discussion, but like, mm-hmm. you know, you could you could be someone who who was the furthest thing from thinking they could be vegan. You could now eat like in a way that's pretty similar to the way you've been eating, uh, but but make it be with plant based food. Uh, and maybe you still leave room for the occasional, you know, whatever your favorite, you know, pork barbecue sandwich or whatever that thing is. Uh, I don't know. It seems like in the past few years, like a lot of people have been really against that. And I've run into because our approach, my approach completely is like if if you can eat a little bit less meat, that is wonderful. And that's where I want to start. And I think like me, I had no intention of becoming vegan. The intention was start eating. Actually, the intention was stop eating four legged animals first. And then mm-hmm. that lasted a year, and then it was stop eating two-legged animals. And it just kind of became this thing where eventually I found myself 100% vegan. So I think it's a great thing to to just get anywhere you can, make any progress towards it. And, and when I think about big picture, what's you know creates the most good for the most animals and the most good on the planet, it's getting a huge percentage of people to eat half as much meat rather than getting you know 5% people to be 100% vegan. Um, where do you come out on that? I mean, do you think it's do you think this is a, it's a good thing to just say, well, this all this plant based food is going to help people be a lot more plant based, uh, or do you think it's really important that a lot more people go all the way vegan? No, I you said it. I mean, it, it, the whole point, right? Again, what's the goal? The goal is to reduce the number of animals being killed and raised for human consumption because of the detrimental effects on our earth, on wildlife, on the animals who are killed, on our health, all of that. That's the goal. The goal is to reflect our values and to be as compassionate as we can and to make the most conscious choices. The goal is to, you know, try to achieve optimal wellness. I mean, those are the goals. So if those are the goals, then the means to get there is to stop eating the animal products. Whatever you, however you identify in that journey, however you, however far you go, if you go 80% or 90%, 80% is better than 70 Mm-hmm. 50 is better than zero. I mean, so that's the goal. And that's that's why I think the problem with vegan, uh, and that's why I think there's recidivism, is because as an identity, people that's not what they're embracing. And 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 they look at it. And I think that's why plant-based has been really helpful for people. The word, the phrase plant-based is because they can still have an identity because we do like to put ourselves in boxes, but they can do it in a way that feels um comfortable and safe for them. So <laughs> I, I I support people doing whatever they can. Now, I'm also going to be the person that says, well, here's what, here's what this means and here's what this looks like and here's how to do this sustainably, obviously, and here's how to do it joyfully. And so that's, that's you know, because, because it's interesting, right? Because I didn't think... I, 
I didn't know what vegan was. Like, I was vegetarian, but I didn't aspire to be vegan. That's not like, that wasn't a goal. That wasn't like a life goal that wasn't on my bucket list, right? Like that's not what most people say. I'm going, like, being vegan is one of the things I want to do. No, I just wanted to not hurt anybody. I wanted to do the best I could to not hurt animals that I would never have hurt myself directly. And so it's interesting though, we do still need a word that reflects this thing that means we're going to do everything we can to not hurt ourselves or hurt or hurt other animals. And that word happens to be in the, you know, vegetarian, vegan, right? So we still do have a desire, I think, as humans to, to do it all the way and to like, to, to want to do it right. And to want to do it, uh, right. Cause most people, when they first learn about the ill effects of, of meat, dairy and eggs, they don't say necessarily, I'm going to be a person who's just going to, you know, go halfway, right? right? We, we tend to look for just doing it. Um, anyway, so, so the point is a long way of saying, no, I support people in wherever they are, but I'm going to give them the tools and resources to fulfill whatever goal they have, whether that's doing it halfway, whether it's just eating less, whether it's cooking more, whether it's going vegan, going vegetarian, whatever. I'm, I just want to be the conduit to help people reflect the things that they care about and help them really get clear about what that is as well. And as you said, once you start your eyes are open, you're then able to do more. And that's why I think it's really important to support people wherever they are, because that's what happens is once you start looking at one thing, you're, you're comfortable enough and you feel safe enough to be able to keep looking because you've already started changing. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, I mean, we, yeah, we agree so much when it comes to that type of idea and, uh, I think that's a huge part of the reason why why I think this book is is uh, is so great. So, the book is called The Joyful Vegan. Uh, once again, it to me, it's how to think about being vegan and kind of therefore how do you handle so many of the issues that come up that you know cause people to stop being vegan or prevent them from ever starting. Um, it as as anyone listening to this probably has guessed, there's there are elements of psychology. There's a surprising amount of spirituality to me in this. Uh, there was even a little meditation that you that you have in here and several things that just, you know, remind me of Buddhist kind of ideas. And I, I really like that stuff. And I think it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've never done I'd never really, I don't know, I came to this pretty just wanting to eat less animals. That was really it. I didn't I didn't know a lot about ethics or, or ever get I never read the Peter Singer stuff. Uh, I just did it because it felt right. And and to me, this book really speaks to that it, it's, it's a much uh, to me easier to approach easier to read book than, you know, trying to open up animal liberation. Um, <laughs> So anyway, I think it's wonderful. Uh, Colleen, when when does it uh, come out? I know November nineteenth, but when particularly? Yeah, I mean, people it's people are getting their copies now. So I mean, people can order it now from wherever, and it seems like some distributors are already getting it into people's hands. So I would say, I mean, it's officially out in like mid mid November, but people can I think get their hands on it. Okay, and best place to do it. Wherever, I mean, obviously, you know, they can go to joyfulvegan.com uh, and they can find links to it. Most people buy from Amazon, it's true, but you can get it from your local bookstore, Barnes Noble, wherever you buy books. Very cool. Colleen, thank you so much. I love this book. I love your work. I love your role in the community or uh, or in the communities, right? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. But, uh, thank you so much. Thanks, guys.